Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add Smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Hi, I'm Janine, host of the Olive Magazine podcast, and this is part one of a special four-part series where we'll be taking a deep dive into the subject of baking with some brilliant expert guests. This episode sees Olive columnist and podcast regular Ed Kimber giving his top tips and tricks to help raise your baking game, including next-level buttercream, secret ingredients that can boost the flavour of chocolate, and some new baking trends to look out for. Welcome to the podcast, Ed Kimber. Thank you for having me again. Not bored <laughs> of me yet. No. <laughs> um, the reason I asked you to come on is we're doing a special series of four podcasts about baking. Um, and obviously you are Olive's baking expert. So I wanted to dive into your expertise to talk about really how we can, as reasonably confident bakers, you know, people who can turn out a lovely cake or a plate of biscuits, how we can kind of turn up the volume on that mm-hmm. and take our bakes to the next level. Because I know from reading your columns in Olive Magazine that you have tons of tips and tricks designed, you know, to give your bakes that extra pizzazz. So I've got a few different mm-hmm. little subjects I want to touch on. But let's start first with um, chocolate, because everybody <laughs> loves a rich chocolate cake. Yeah. You've got an amazing devil's food cake in our latest so issue on the cover, or a chocolate biscuit. How can, we, how can we turn up the volume on that? How can we make that into a better bake? So in that recipe, for example, um, the actual recipe itself isn't super different from a kind of classic devil's food. There's a few things that I do to enhance flavor with chocolate. So... Mm. In a cake itself, when you add chocolate, this one has chocolate and cocoa, which gives a nice balance of flavor because 
Sometimes when you add cocoa powder, that's going to give you the intensity of flavor. Yeah. But adding the chocolate adds cocoa butter, which can give a really nice texture and round out the flavor in the cake as well. But okay. because you're adding flour, you're adding sugar, you're adding eggs, all those things will help to dull the flavor of chocolate because it's helping right. to cover it up. So adding things like there's a liquid in the recipe and using mm. uh, coffee in that can help give more of that roasty flavor that won't taste of coffee, but it will help to bring out the chocolate that's already there. And it's interesting because when you put coffee in a chocolate cake, you will inevitably get questions from people saying, will it taste of coffee? And yeah. you can put oh. really strong coffee in it and you might can get you? these, I can, I've put espresso in coffee cakes, in chocolate cakes before, and you can taste something, but most people wouldn't go, oh, this is a coffee cake. But because... Yeah. You know, coffee beans and cocoa beans are not, you know, crazily dissimilar products. Mm. And they're often, they're processed in a similar way in the way that they're roasted and dried and whatever. Um, and it can just help give more of that base note to the recipe. So yeah. it's kind of adding another level to it. Um, but then in that recipe, I also added a small portion of rye flour. And rye flour is just, I call it like a magical pairing with chocolate because it's a yeah. fairly acidic flour. And it can add this brightness and it does a similar thing to salt almost. It can help bring out flavors. It can help pair mm. really nicely. And I think chocolate and rye are just made for each other. I think they yeah. both help to bring out each other's flavors and increase the depth of flavor in the cake. Because that's kind of what you're doing. It's it's not adding more chocolate to make it more chocolatey. It's trying to help bring out the flavors that are already there and add other levels yeah. of depth to it. But I think one of the most important things that a lot of people won't think about with chocolate recipes is salt, is adding yeah. enough salt to chocolate because baking is still, you know, it's still food and still needs seasoning. Yeah, salt, seasoning. Yeah, but it also plays a really important role in flavor because salt helps to reduce the sweetness, obviously, but it also helps to bring out flavors and it works so well with chocolate. If you have, say, a chocolate chip cookie that has a little bit of salt on the top versus one that yeah. doesn't, even if you couldn't taste the salt, you would taste something stronger. Mm. Um, and so adding enough salt to a recipe can really, really help. I was randomly in a friend's uh, kitchen the other weekend. There was a whole bunch of us together, a whole bunch of different pastry chefs, and we wanted yeah. to test out what makes the best chocolate cake. So we literally tested a whole bunch over, really? over a day. Oh, wow. And um, the one of the ones that came out as noticeably different had, mm. but it had too much salt, let's say that. But <laughs> it had a presence of salt that really just made everything really bright. And yeah. we could tell when things just didn't have enough salt because it really was, it was flat. Like with cooking, you know, it can really help mm. make it more dynamic. Um, and you're not talking a lot of salt, you're just talking... The right amount, like a of salt. pinch. Yeah. How many how many cakes did you go through before you got to the? I think we made so there was five of us. Did we make six or seven? And um, but guess which one wow. came out really highly, which we were all quite shocked about. So we made um... a very famous person's cake. Oh, you were using recipes that were out there in the we, in the wild. Kind well, of thing. For one of them we did, but the other ones was kind of a higgled mess of a recipe. We jumbled together on the day together based on what you thought would work yeah and that was one yeah. recipe that we all tested but then we threw in one extra one because it was vegan okay. and we wanted to try mm. a vegan recipe cool. but it was um it was nigella's vegan chocolate cake 
and it's delicious on its own. It's great on its own. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to add chocolate to it because it's only cocoa powder based. And oh, adding chocolate to it made it, it was already ridiculously good, but adding chocolate yeah. to it made this incredible vegan chocolate cake. So, wow. um, yeah, I need to play around with that one more because it was very good. And did you, did you tag her in once you'd made that discovery? I think we did, but I don't think she noticed. <laughs> Hi, Nigella. Yeah, I don't think she noticed <laughs> Just that ignored day. you. It, it's weird though, isn't it? Because you mentioned cocoa powder, but you know, people would think, oh, well, to make the ultimate chocolate cake, you just use chocolate, but you can't, no. you, you always need, you need cocoa powder because you can't get the intensity from just using yeah. melted chocolate. And also you wouldn't be able to, there'd be too much of it and it would kind of damage the sponge, I guess, in the end. Yeah. Well, when you're talking about cocoa powder, so really good, what is known as Dutch cocoa powder, which is mainly what you can get in Europe anyway. Mm. Um, the good stuff is around 20 to 24% fat content and obviously right. chocolate has a different fat percentage and yeah. sugar percentage and all those sorts of extra added things where when you're adding cocoa powder you're adding cocoa solids and cocoa butter effectively right and so that's pure chocolate flavor there's nothing else getting in the way the fat yeah. level is lower so you're not changing the textures of the recipe too much but mm. cocoa powder is also quite drying because yeah. it can absorb moisture quite a lot so Using chocolate is a nice balance because it can help kind of measure each other out and yeah. um, give you the right texture versus flavor. But to me, yeah. um, cocoa-based cakes, if they're made really well, can have a really light, moist texture. But adding chocolate yeah. just gives them a teensy bit more sturdiness so they make better right. layer cakes and it has a nicer, to me, it has a better texture when you use both. Although yeah. both are great. Yeah. Let's talk about um, a little bit about decoration now. Mm -hmm. So, so um, we all know how to make buttercream. It's you know it's just mixing yeah. ice and sugar, nice some easy. nice salted butter. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't know what ratios you use. I think it's kind of it's usually equal, isn't it? Or you it's maybe use a little bit normally. more. Yeah, it's uh, so one part you, butter, two parts sugar, but it's yeah. very sweet. Yeah, but then I noticed that in your column you've done fancy um buttercreams mm -hmm. tell us about swiss meringue buttercream so i don't do a lot of the kind of classic buttercream it's known as american buttercream mm. because i'm not a huge fan of its texture it can be very sweet and a little bit grainy unless properly made yeah and it's just not my favorite so i like playing with lots of different variations of buttercream and they're all classics it's just they're less well known at home yeah so swiss meringue buttercream is probably one of my go-to's it's uh, very easy to make. It's actually not complicated at all. It's just, it sounds... You say that, Ed, but... It's not, I promise. <laughs> it just sounds daunting because you've got yeah. to make a meringue to make buttercream, but it's really not that difficult. So it's actually easier to make a Swiss meringue than it is to make normal French-style meringue. All you're going to do is right. put your egg whites and your sugar into a bowl together straight away, and you put the yeah. bowl over a pan of simmering water, and you just get it moving, just gently whisk it. You're not trying to add air. You're just kind of moving it around so it doesn't catch. And as soon as it becomes fairly hot and you can tell it's ready, when you dip your fingers in, you rub your fingers together and it'll feel smooth. There'll be no grains of sugar. Oh, so, so the sugar's dissolved. Exactly, yeah. So the sugar's dissolved yeah. and it's hot enough that it's pasteurized the egg whites, so the eggs, egg whites oh. are safe. Um, you then take it off the heat and then you whisk it for about 7 to 10 minutes. You can do that with yeah. an electric hand whisk or a stand mixer. You can't do it with a normal balloon whisk because you just... It won't work. It'll take far too long. Your arm will drop off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Both arms will drop off by the time it's done. Yeah. Um, and you end up with this incredibly um, glossy meringue. It's almost like making marshmallow. 
Um, and then once that's cool enough, once it's room temperature, yeah. you just then add butter to it piece by piece, soften butter. And by the time you've added all that remaining butter in, it becomes this incredibly smooth, silky buttercream. And it's yeah. so smooth. And you can flavor it just how you would any normal buttercream. Um, but its textures are just delicious and so, so good. Um, someone once said to me, oh, it tastes very much like butter. And I said, oh, the clue is in the name. It is a yeah. buttercream. <laughs> um, but that's also because it has less sweetness than a normal yeah. buttercream. Because you're cooking the, the sugar, it reduces yeah. the um, sensation of sweetness when you eat it. So yeah. it's less sweet than traditional buttercream. And it has a much, much better texture. It takes a little bit more time to make, but I don't think it's complicated. I yeah. would put money on people can make this at home with you right. know what you have at home it's fine i think you added a couple of little tips didn't you about yeah if you add there's a couple of things that yeah, could possibly go awry basically but... only two things that can go wrong which is buttercream or two common things that go wrong one mm. is you add the butter to um when the meringue is too warm and mm. it will melt and instead of forming a nice buttercream texture it, it forms this almost mousse like texture it's very wet uh, and soupy right. Uh, that's incredibly easy to rescue. You stop adding any more butter. You throw the bowl in the fridge for 10, 15 minutes. Mm. And that will uh, should cool everything down enough that when you whip it again, it then starts to come back together. Come back, and then yeah. you continue adding your butter and it should be fine. The other thing that can happen is if the butter you're adding is too cold and you're adding it to the meringue, it can sometimes um, split. It can kind of um, break. Mm. And if that happens, you just keep whisking. You just keep it going and eventually that butter will warm up and yeah, it will warm form up with the buttercream texture. But they're yeah. really the only things that can go wrong. Um, and they're very easy to rescue, thankfully. It's one yeah, of the easiest, more complex buttercreams. That, to me, sounds like a good one. If, you, if you're looking for the next level buttercream, that's, a, that's one that anyone could sort of attempt. Yeah, I mean, there's another one that I really love, but I think maybe it's more daunting because it's a a more confusing process because there's one called um german buttercream it's also um similar to a few other names but basically it's custard and then you beat butter oh. into the custard so oh, okay. you basically make a very thick pastry cream and then yeah. once that's chilled down you beat your butter until it's really nice and creamy light pale mm. and then you add the custard to that spoon by spoon and eventually yes. it whips up into this delicious, delicious buttercream. I really like that one because it's the least sweet and you can really control right. the sweetness of that one a lot. And it has a very similar texture, kind of, it's maybe a little bit more moussey, a bit more soft maybe, um, but it is a delicious buttercream. I like that one a lot at the moment. Mm. I like the sound of them. They, they sound like, um, you know, the sort of things that you get when you go to like a posh patisserie or whatever and mm -hmm. they've got those creams and another one i want to talk about which which you would get there is um as glazing as an alternative mm -hmm. to thick icing because I, I think i saw you first do it on um you made this fantastic malteser loaf cake for us and you said oh i'm going to do a glaze mm -hmm. a chocolate glaze on it. it was like um it was like a swirly a swirl cake loaf cake and then it was a chocolate glaze yeah. and then the Maltese. It was a cover cake, Ed. You posted it the other day. Because <laughs> like, Ed's making this face at me like, I can't remember what she's talking about. And I'm, no, and I'm making this face back at him, which is, it was on the cover, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Do you because, remember it now? It was yeah, fantastic. I, I, think, I don't think of that as a glaze because it, it, that one is a glaze, but it's a ganache. You called glaze, it a basically. chocolate glaze. Yeah. No, I know, I yeah. know, I know. Um, but it's basically <laughs> a very simple 
ganache that. So it's well, chocolate, like that, it's yeah. cream. And the nice thing about making a ganache is if you're making something that has chocolate flavor, but you want to give it a real intensity, then ganache yeah. is chocolate and cream and is about as intense a chocolate flavor as you're going to get. Mm. Um, and it's incredibly easy to make. Um, it's, you know, warming your cream, pouring it over the chocolate, making it into a ganache. There is a lot that can go wrong um, with ganache. And I think the the most important thing you can do is um, when you're, a lot of older recipes, especially kind of early 2000s, 90s recipes will say, bring the cream to a boil yeah. and pour that over the chocolate. Really best practice would be to bring the cream just to a simmer because when you pour that cream over the chocolate, and this is for any type of ganache when you're bringing mm. a liquid and a chocolate together, um, the heat can make the fat in the chocolate separate and make the ganache split. So okay. it's best if you can really finely chop your chocolate and add simmering cream, that helps a lot. And yeah. um, the other thing that can happen is some chocolates, and this is true of some lower quality chocolates or um, chocolates that are designed for eating, not necessarily baking, they right. can have quite a high proportion. Well, actually, that's a bit too specific. It can be any type of chocolate, really. But when the chocolate is high in cocoa butter, like they've added extra cocoa butter mm. to the cocoa mass, it can make a chocolate that eats really nicely. It melts really nicely and thin. Yeah. It melts really easily on the tongue. But that can split more because of that higher percentage of fat. It's harder to keep in emulsion. Um, okay. So, again, proper practice would be warm, uh, simmering cream and just gentle stirring until in the middle of the bowl until it starts to come together. So you're giving it the best possible. Yeah. yeah. But there are things you can do if you can ash splits. There's a few tricks you can do. The best one is if you have an immersion blender, like a stick blender. That will oh, bring yeah. back ganache into emulsion really? the best. Yeah. If it starts, if, if you see it start to split, the best thing you can do is stop stirring. As soon as you know it's, you can just see it. It will start to look see a bit See it going, wrong. yeah. Get your stick blender out, blitz it together. And it's like making mayonnaise. It just forces it oh, into emulsion. It just it's forces it back together. Yeah. Stick around to hear more from Ed, including new flavour trends in baking to look out for. I saw um, a guy, I can't remember what programme it was on, and he made he made a, gan well, it wouldn't be ganache, but he, he used water as mm -hmm. the liquid. Have you so ever done that? You can make ganache from basically any liquid so it's known as water ganache um, and you can do it but it's funny because to most people's minds that breaks the rules of adding water to chocolate yeah. but yeah. the thing with water to chocolate is if you're adding a few drops it will make it split but if you're doing it in the proper way and you melt the two together then it will work fine and you end up with pure chocolate flavor there's no other fat in there to get in the way there's nothing no other flavors controlling it but you can also infuse that water so you can make a tea ganache by infusing it with tea. Mm. You can make a coffee ganache by using, you know, like um, um, a black coffee. Um, so there's lots you can do around with flavor there. But I like a glaze because there are so many different styles. So you can go the fancy mm. route and do a mirror glaze, which is made with like gelatin and cocoa powder and sugar. Um, and it's super glossy, but they're a bit yeah. finicky to play with. Or you can just do, you know, if you've got a really flavorful cake and you just want to add a little extra... There's a, yeah. a term that I really like. It's for a snacking cake. And a snacking cake is generally super humble, simple cake. And it has either nothing on top as a decoration, like a glaze or a frosting, mm. or it has a really simple, like pourable glaze. And that's, you know, the classic would be like a lemon 
um, icing made with lemon juice and icing sugar. Yeah. And you make it thin enough that it's pourable. Um, yeah. And those I really like because they're incredibly simple. They're not really adding tons of extra texture or flavor, um, sweetness, but they can add a really extra boost of flavor, which I think is great. So there's lots to play around I'm thinking with. of those ones that you used to get at, um, at school, snacking cake, like a, with pink icing and um, <laughs> sprinkles on top. I don't remember In those. squares. Did, <laughs> I think the only dessert we used to get at school was um, anything that could be served with hot custard. Everything in our mm. school was, you know, um, spotted dick with hot custard or... I know. I think we used to get crumble, maybe. There was a really yeah, bad chocolate sponge with really yeah. awful chocolate custard that never tasted pink of chocolate. Did you get the pink? Did you get with pink custard? We used to get a chocolate sponge pink with pink custard. custard. It was really bad chocolate custard. It was like grey brown. It didn't taste of anything. It was gross. It was a lot of food to eat on a oh, lunchtime, wasn't it? Because so you used to get food. full on pudding. Yeah, I don't know how people day, were awake have... in the afternoon after a school yeah. lunch because it was a big piece wasn't. of cake. Yeah, with loads of like custard <laughs> poured on top of it. Um, I know what cake and custard your, for lunch. Your book that you, um, I'm going to mention this because I made it the other day. I was mm-hmm. so, so chuffed with myself. It's because I've got more, I guess I've got more time or maybe my brain's in a different space at yeah. the minute. But um, I made your salted caramel ganache. Nice. Which is you um, you melt, and I've done this twice because I made your turtle brownies as well, where you, you start off by making a caramel in the pan. Mm-hmm. And actually I found your method of making caramel because I've done it twice in the, twice, I've done it two different ways in the past. Mm-hmm. The way I was taught was to add water yeah. to the sugar and then melt it. That to me is the thing that yeah. screws it up. Because yeah, when, when you do it, you just say, pour the sugar in a pan and then you gently, you, you just you just heat it until leave it melts. It and every yeah. time I've done it, I just leave it. I think it's really interesting because I think there's, I don't know if it is just an old school way of doing it. So everyone was taught this way where you have to do a wet caramel where you add water to the sugar and then the sugar dissolves in the water then you cook off the water. But the problem is sugar likes to crystallize in the presence of yeah. water. So it also likes to crystallize when you agitate it in water. And most people, when they make a wet caramel, mm. they are not controlling the crystallization properly because they don't know how to. And so it will much more likely crystallize and go terrible than it would if you make a dry caramel. Um, but if you do make a wet caramel, there's two things you can do basically the problem is stirring so you don't stir yeah. oh you especially don't stir once the sugar has dissolved, dissolved if you can see right. sugar you can stir it but if you can't see sugar stop stirring because that's when it'll start to crystallize again cool. yeah. but when sugar gets stuck on the side of the pan that can be something that will cause it to crystallize so most mm. the best advice you can do is either have a pastry brush with a little pot of water next to the pan and just at the start of the process just brush down the side of the pan with a wet pastry brush and the water will push that sugar back into the pan or the one I prefer is the early start of the process you put the lid on the pan and as it heats up the steam hits the top of the lid draws it back down but for a dry caramel it's so much more forgiving because it's much harder to crystallize it so yeah all I do is I put sugar in a pan I turn it on and then basically leave it until it caramelizes. You can stir yeah. it, you can give it a little mix, and it will go into these hard lumps when you do it sometimes. Yeah. But because there's no water, those will eventually melt out, yeah. and you'll end up with a, yeah, a smooth I, caramel. So it's much, much easier. I use, um, I've got a, a really nice um, all-clad silver. I love um, all-clad. Quite heavy. I said, oh, I am obsessed with them. <laughs> 
frying pan. So I pour like the layer of custard sugar yeah. in the bottom of the frying pan, put it on the heat. And like you said, you'll start getting little pockets that are going golden. Yeah. And what I do is I occasionally just pick it up and kind of just, swirl it. just wiggle it yeah. around, just swirl it yeah. and swirl it. And, and you're right, sometimes you'll get a big wadge of unmelted sugar but you just wait yeah. and leave it and eventually it just it falls into everything else and it's fine the other know? thing so. that can happen with any style of caramel is when you add the cream it will seize mm. because the cream yeah. is cold so again best practice would be to put that cream in a separate pan and just gently warm it you don't even really need to bring mm. it to a simmer you just need to get it nice and warm so that when yeah. you add it to the sugar it combines a lot easier and you don't yeah. end up with lumps but if you do end up with lumps you just turn the heat right down you let it sit for a few it. minutes and it'll eventually smooth out. Um, mm. But that frosting is, I think it's probably one of my all-time favorite things that I've written because it's so delicious. And I don't know a single person who has made it that hasn't completely fallen in love with it. Yeah. Um, what you, once you've made that caramel, which has um, more cream in it than normal, so it's quite a wet yeah. caramel, you then pour that over the chocolate instead so of... Good just cream on its own. Yeah. And you get this caramel-flavoured ganache. And that would be delicious on its own, but what you then do is you chill it down slightly until it's thickened enough, but it's not solid, and then you mm. whip it, and you make a whipped ganache, but it's whipped milk chocolate caramel ganache. And it is so, good. so unbelievably <laughs> delicious. Um, it's so, so good. And I challenge anyone to make it and not just eat some on its own before it goes on the cake, because it's so, so good. I know that's, you uh, know, uh, bigging myself up, but it's really good. No, do it. Do it. I mean, who else is going to yeah, do exactly. that? You know, I, would, I was I was, just thrilled with myself for doing it. I was, I'm, I'm like, I'm doing all these processes. Yeah. And, but I think with a lot of stuff with baking as well is just follow and trust yourself and keep going and yeah. be calm. Don't freak out about it because, like you said, you can usually bring things back. Definitely. But just have that nice kind of... You know, you're you're always quite calm in the kitchen, I think, Ed. So. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let, yeah, let, let's talk a, a little bit about other types of chocolate mm -hmm. since we, we touched on that. Because I know you're a big fan of caramelized and white mm -hmm. chocolate, which can sound really scary. But again, it's not, is it? No. And it God, you bring it brings so much to the party, caramelizing it, doesn't it? Yeah, so I love all types of chocolate. I am a, mm. um, you know, equal opportunities chocolate fan. <laughs> and um but many people don't like white chocolate they mm, think of it as sweet. something not real chocolate because there's not quite any cocoa solids in it or cocoa mass in it um but i think it's delicious and i think it has a very good place in the kitchen but mm. if you do find it too sweet or if you just like things that have caramel notes then caramelizing the white chocolate is such a delicious thing to do and is Again, just so easy to make and so, so delicious. So basically what you do is you have your chocolate on some form of sheet pan, so like a rimmed baking tray or baking something tray. like that. Mm. And you're basically going to bake the chocolate, roast the chocolate for anywhere to an hour to hour and a half, depending on the actual chocolate itself. Um, but you have to stir it regularly. And that right. is the thing that people will do wrong. So you're going to bake it really low, about 120 degrees, and yeah. you are going to stir it every 10 to 15 minutes. When okay. it comes out of the oven, sometimes it will look a little bit grainy or coarse, but when you stir it, and you have to really scrape the bottom of the tray and really agitate mm. the whole thing, it will melt back down into a smooth liquid. Um, and if you don't do that properly, if you're putting it back in the oven when it's still grainy and lumpy, it mm. will just get worse. 
So that is the real key is to make sure every time it goes back in the oven, it's nice and smooth. Um, and eventually, as you cook it, you're caramelizing the sugar in the chocolate and the milk solids in the milk powder that's in my chocolate. Mm. Um, and you end up with this just delicious, delicious product. Um, but there are things that you need to bear in mind when doing it, and it's all about the chocolate you're buying. Um, I was going to say, yeah, the white chocolate. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's, not, it's not one for your milky bar. No, it will not work for the milky <laughs> bar. Um, it needs to be, um, generally the advice given is it needs to be about 30% um, cocoa butter. So if you can get your hands on something a little bit better quality, something like um, Guitard or um, Barry Calibo or, uh, sorry, Cacao Barry um, or Valbrona or, you know, any of those, you know, more traditional yeah. chocolate companies, their white chocolates tend to be um, fairly high in cocoa butter. Um, I made some last week for a charity bake sale and I used Pump Street white chocolate. And the Pump Street okay. white chocolate is interesting because it's quite low in sugar. So it was, took a lot longer to caramelize. It took about two to three hours to caramelize in the end. Um, but it tasted fantastic at the end of it because it was uh, really intense because of how long it took to caramelize. Yeah. Um, but really the key is, yeah, it needs to be about 30% cocoa butter. Otherwise, what can happen is the chocolate will never really smooth out. You'll caramelize it, but right. it'll be very chalky and yeah. it just won't have quite a nice texture. Um, it'll just yeah. be a lot tougher to caramelize and it risks burning a lot more. And it is, I mean, you get this, the flavor is kind of like, it It cuts through the sweetness, totally. the natural sweetness of thing, and you get it because it's caramelized. It's like posh caramel, yeah. isn't it? You remember caramel? That's what everyone and we calls all loved it, yeah. caramel. It's posh caramel, but it's beautiful. Yeah. But just so white chocolate, caramelized white chocolate, very trendy flavor. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to finish on, um, you know, if I want to be a show off, um, everyone's doing stuff, you know, Great British Bake Off's back on at the minute. <laughs> We're seeing all of these flavor profiles go through. What are, the, what are the trendiest flavors at the minute that I can crack out to kind of use in my bakes? It's funny because trendy is a really difficult word. I get asked every year about this time every year. By, yes, Ed, what's, yeah, what's happening? <laughs> exactly, like by Olive or, you know, from other magazines and papers, like what's mm. the trendy ingredient of 2021? What's the next big thing? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to make something up. But it's, it's tricky because... You don't want to necessarily follow trends. I think it's doing something that's just really interesting. That, to me, is yeah. what makes it stand out. So okay. one of my ingredients that I love and have done for a few years is tahini. I think it's yeah. delicious in baking. It's, it has a lot of traditional uses in sweets. You know, yeah. in, the, in the UK, we don't necessarily think of it that way. But there are lots of Middle Eastern sweets that like use hal it. Halva? Halva is delicious. Halva, yeah. yeah, it uses the sesame. Um, but it is so good in baking mm. and can make something... That's just a little bit more interesting and make yeah. it stand out as something a little bit more, you know, less traditional, less nostalgic, less retro. Um, yeah. And there are different things, you know, um, it's become something you can buy easier in the UK in terms of black tahini, which is, you know, tahini made with black sesame seeds that has Lovely. a more deep roasty flavor. Yeah. And so yeah. it can really stand out in different things, but can also give mm. a great color. Um, I did a recipe for, uh, the, for the column a while back. I think it was one of the first, maybe. Maybe it was the first. And it was a... Oh, that cookie, the yeah, black tahini, black tahini cookie, cookie filled with, the... with a white chocolate cardamom ganache. Mm. And that one is delicious because it's the, the nuttiness goes so well with the white chocolate. It kind of balances out the sweetness and makes something interesting. Mm. Um, but lots of things like that. So the tahini is adding 
depth and nuttiness and other flavors. But then you've got things like miso, which are basically doing the job of salt. You know, miso oh, is a yeah. salty product and can help balance sweetness, but give it an interesting depth of flavor. There's a um, coffee shop where I used to live in um, Stoke Newington in, in Hackney um, called, um, I'm going to forget its name now, which is really embarrassing. Esther's, that's what it's called. And <laughs> they do an amazing cookie and it's white chocolate and miso. And again, it's all about wow. that balancing of sweetness and the white chocolate's mm. really nice and sweet and kind of moorish, but then it's tempered by the miso. But it just sounds really unusual. And I think a lot of people go, oh, what is that? But it works so, so well. I've had miso caramel before, which is yeah. delicious. So there's a lot of things you can do that are just interesting and unexpected. And I think that's always a nice way to do something just a little bit more inspiring than, you know, here's yeah. your classic chocolate cake. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But I think it can be a nice way to make something stand out. I think in just the, the advice would probably approach it quite gently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> don't just throw... Don't just throw a bunch of miso in your chocolate yeah. cake. Yeah, I think, think about how you're using it. Think, think of it in the way you, you were saying, like, seasoning. Or I've seen, like, you know, I think we've got a recipe for a really rich chocolate brownie with, like, tahini mm -hmm. swirl. That makes sense because it's kind of going through it, but it's balanced out. So I think yeah. with everything, um, you know, there's, there's time for experimenting, but just kind of go quite carefully with it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think my advice is always, because I, I, I love that people are super excited to try out new things in the kitchen. And, mm. you know, the amount of people that will email and say, oh, I made your recipe, but I tried it with this, 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 and this, and it didn't work. And so my advice is always, if you find a recipe that you really like the sound of, but you want to add something, do it mm. carefully and in stages. So say you are taking, I don't know, a chocolate cake and you want to add tahini or miso even to the frosting you're going to have to do it multiple times probably until it tastes right so the first yeah. time you and this can be about any adjustments to a recipe the first time you want to make that change do it in a really small way and then see if you can take it further see if it needs to go further and then yeah. see where it gets i think just like you say just throwing something in is going to be tricky to get that balance right and often with something that's very sweet and you're adding something that's very opposite so something nutty or something uh, salty getting that balance is is key and it's the same with um reducing sugar a lot of people want to reduce sugar in recipes and you mm. can't just pull it out without thought you have to think about what you're doing and the same goes for how you're flavoring a recipe and you have to think about how i mean this is how i think about it you have to think about how it will eat and what you're going to taste and kind of what you mm. want to be the dominant flavor so yeah carefully and you know with approach but Sensitively. sensitively well that is that is some brilliant advice to end on ed thank you so much for coming to chat today pleasure. so much inspiration in there um just so people can um catch you on instagram where you you pretty much put everything that you're working <laughs> on at the so it's at the boy who bakes isn't it on instagram it is. i'm find at you the there. boy who bakes on all social media even though i don't use yep. all of them all the time Yay, TM. <laughs> okay thanks again for coming to speak to us today ed my pleasure so that was the olive magazine podcast if you want to explore more of our back catalogue of over 200 episodes, you'll find us on all the main platforms and on our website, olivemagazine.com, where you'll also find loads of useful recipes and some great cooking advice. Why not try a subscription to Olive Magazine and get the very best recipes delivered to help inspire your cooking? To take advantage of our current offer of three issues for only £5, go to buysubscriptions.com 
forward slash allpod720. That's O-L-P-O-D 720. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs>